Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. I welcome back to the ND on NBC podcast. Guys, this is a fun one for me. Uh, kind of an overview, right? As we come out of the bye week and we're going into the USC game, we're presented by Under Armour, as we always are. Doug Farmer, Corey Robinson, thank you guys very much for being with us. And let's start with the quarterbacks, right? I don't, I don't know where else we could look beyond the quarterback position. It's one of the most intriguing quarterback rooms that I could ever remember. It's not like you can lock it on one guy or go, this young guy's the path that we have to go. It just seems like we're always bouncing. Every time that the Notre Dame offense runs on the field, you're like, who's it going to be? This time, so Corey Robinson, the state of that quarterback room right now, what would you say it is? Jack Cohn. Uh, that's that's the official word. <laughs> so so there is the state. But I, I think it's interesting because we we've seen. Um, I don't know how to describe this other than maybe a roller coaster. Um, it, it's interesting because at the beginning of the season it was Jack Cohn and then a Buckner package. And, you know, in case of emergency, break glass and Drew Pine would come out. And then it came to a point where they said, okay, well, we want to have one quarterback. We can't keep doing this. Um, Then due to injuries, due to lack of, you know, poor performances, we find ourselves with different starters. And then now going into USC week, we're back where we started. Jack Cohen starts us off with a Buckner package. And coach said, in case of emergency, break glass and we'll send in Drew Pine. So that's the state. It's back to week one. I keep thinking back to, to Jack Cohen's performance at Florida State. 366 yards, four touchdowns. There was Heisman buzz about this quarterback after week one. And by the end of week two, we had the dislocated finger. So, so Corey, you, you opened with just saying Jack Cohen. He has been the underlying theme, even with his, his troubles against Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech. Those can't be ignored, but I, I still think we don't praise his highs often enough. He, he was a... It was a week one flash in the pan Heisman moment, but it was it was quite a performance. And then the Toledo game winning drive, the Virginia Tech game winning drives. There's a reason he'll start against USC, and presumably, unless a break class in case of emergency, start the rest of the season. And, and I agree. So this is so interesting about this is that the sample size is when you look at the numbers. This is fascinating, Jack and Doug. You look at the numbers and Jack Cohen's balling, right? Like you look at like you're like, man, this guy is really good. But when you watch the games. The pace, it's different. You're like, okay, well, this, this team doesn't look like it's humming. And that's what's so interesting is that I don't think we've seen a full game of just Jack Cohn. So that, that's kind closest, of like my – The closest thing to a full game have been those first two weeks. Florida State where he was stellar. And then Toledo uh, really only came out for the Buckner packages, which were impressive in the moment. But other than that, he played, I believe, the entire Toledo game. And that, that was so long ago we forget about that, that, that fact. Yeah. 
I, I, the offense feels more attacking when Buckner's in the game. You know, I, it just feels like they're playing on their toes. It's more downhill. And if you think back over the years of a Brian Kelly offense, the preference is to have a running quarterback. That's the preference. It opens up about another half of the playbook that doesn't exist when you don't have a running quarterback. So if there's any reason why this whole year it feels like we need to get Buckner in the game, maybe it's pine time. I just think in the back of the minds of Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly, they're going, there's this whole other half of the playbook. It's pretty exciting if we can get to it. Uh, and is Buckner ready as a passer? No, he's not. I think he proved that against Virginia Tech. But it's still so exciting that I believe you'll continue to see it. And from what I keep hearing, there's more to be desired. There's more to be seen as a passer. And they're seeing it in practice. So maybe one day we'll see it on Saturday, too. Who wants to quietly point out the irony that Brian Kelly's offense prefers a running quarterback and um... – Oh, that's right. The offensive coordinator is, oh, yeah, Tommy Reese. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hear you. But did Tommy Reese win national championships there? No. I think Tommy wants a running quarterback, too. He's doing the same thing. Uh, one fact uh, that I put together last night is Notre Dame's offense right now is averaging 5.22 yards per play. That's It has an average fewer than six since Kelly's second season in 2011. Ever since then, it's been six and above, even seven in 2017. And so that really underscored for me how plotting and inconsistent this offense has been with, as you point out, a non-running quarterback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I just, we had Avery Davis on the podcast yesterday, Doug. I think you were listening in as well. Uh, the, the way that he described Cone is he described him like you would describe a starter, right? Like I, when he described Cone, you're going, okay, I can understand why the whole building keeps gravitating back towards him. But then when he talks about the skill set of Buckner, then you understand why Coach Kelly, you know, he is going to be the, the man with star potential. He's the guy with the next three years they want to invest in, and they tried to invest in, and then it kind of became interception, 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 rolled his ankle, stepping away. You know what I mean? I think they wanted to go all in on Buckner, and it just didn't play itself out that way. And Cone comes back in and looks great at the end of the game. Something I do like to point out in Buckner's defense, he has played one season of football in the last four years. Between an MCL injury and and the pandemic, he lost two of his last three years in high school. So, yes, he's going to have trouble diagnosing defenses because he hasn't seen that many defenses. Yeah. But as as it comes to how Avery was discussing these two, it reminded me of something I wanted to ask you both. Brian Kelly has multiple times said he handled the 2016 quarterback situation poorly. Corey, you around that team. Jack, if memory serves, you knew a few guys on that team. Kelly, in 2018, would point to his lessons learned from that and how he could manage the Wimbush to book switch. What lessons from 2016 do you think apply now as he tries to still keep multiple quarterbacks engaged and moving forward? Yeah, I, I think that for me, you know, I'm, I'm an old school kind of guy. You know, I think you got to just pick one quarterback and roll with it. I do see that there is this um, phenomenon happening. I, I know it's, it doesn't seem like there's nothing new under the sun, right? But this idea that you can have multiple quarterbacks and have different packages for them, uh, I think that's great. I think that that's interesting when it comes down to um, the creative offenses we're seeing. But for me, as far as being a, a player on a team and being a receiver, trying to establish chemistry with three quarterbacks is difficult. And I remember it just – just anecdotally, right? You know, in the summer times, we'd go out and throw, and it's hard because you don't know which quarterback, if in a quarterback battle, you don't know which quarterback to throw with. 
So you right. get 100 reps in, and then the guy ends up being the, the second string or third string guy, and then now the starter you don't have any chemistry with. And then in, when crunch time comes in the game, who does that guy go to? The guy that you know they threw 100 times within the summer you know, every day. So that's kind of one of those things that, that I think is, is kind of lost when you have multiple packages. And we, we saw that even Coach was saying that too with Brendan Clark before he entered the transfer portal, trying to get him some reps in seven-on-seven seven to try to take the rust off but obviously that didn't work for, for Mr. Clark. He's transferring out. So, But the, the key thing here is with this Notre Dame um, quarterback room is that I think they're more focused about winning than getting you know just individual stats or being the guy, which is helpful, but has you know obviously been problematic for Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I I, I just kind of think that with this one, they it's just a Rubik's cube that they can't completely figure out. Like, I think what Corey just described is that they they want to make one quarterback decision and go with it. And even before the Virginia Tech game, I thought you could hear that in Coach Kelly's voice. It was he was trying to make a call. He wanted to make one decision and go with it for the remainder of the year. And there probably was a quarter, a quarter and a half of that Virginia Tech game where he's going, "This is great. This is Buckner." Buckner's going to be our quarterback, and we're going to ride off into the sunset. I don't think in the back of his mind he's going, I'm going to put Cone back into this game. And then the circumstances played out in a fashion in which I was going, oh, now this becomes a Pine game. Now Pine's going to come in as a reliever. And I don't know that there is any clear-cut evidence that makes you go, it couldn't still be any of the three on any given drive. Like, I still think this is like a – he's like a manager over there for a baseball team in the World Series – and he's literally going, is it time for the reliever? Is it time to bring in this pitcher? I don't see a scenario where that doesn't exist for the remainder of the season because I think all three of them bring something different. I think you sort of get that shot of energy from Pine, that there may be a time where they're looking for that. I think Buckner does things as a runner that none of the other ones can do, and I think Cone is the one that they trust to be clutch. So all three of those have a role, have a factor, and given the way a game could play out. So my guess is this sort of quarterback carousel, this quarterback nightmare – continues all the way to the end. I don't see it going anywhere. I think it's why we're only a one loss, why Notre Dame's only a one loss team right now. If it weren't for this whole quarterback thing, I think they probably have more losses than this. Don't you? Like if Cone's not here, how many losses would this team have? Maybe starting with Florida State. Jack, you went from World Series manager pitcher to quarterback carousel to quarterback nightmare. <laughs> like, yeah, we went from it's not ideal, right? It's not ideal. Like <laughs> For Kelly, for Reese, for you, Corey Robinson as a receiver, nobody wants this scenario. But I don't know how you escape it or avoid it. There's no answer to it at this point. So in that respect, Jack, you're saying it, it is similar to 2016 when they couldn't quite come to a decision, whereas in 2018 there was one switch made and that was never second-guessed. Yeah. This year it's just going to be second-guessing, third-guessing, fourth-guessing, so on down the line, probably each week including Saturday night against USC. I think it could. I mean, if, if if Cone's in there and he plays perfect the whole game, it's awesome. If he throws an interception, let's say he throws two interceptions, can you two look me in the eye and go, they're not going to bring in another one of these quarterbacks? I can almost guarantee it's different. It. It's different when you say second-guessing, third-guessing, fourth-guessing, or in the game plan. Because, you know, if you look at the Buckner packages with the two back, like that's in the game plan, right? right. So if you're saying if, if, if what you're arguing is true about this carousel, or a relief pitcher analogy. If that's the case, then you could say we're going to start off with with Cone. Then when it's lagging, we'll put a shot of Buckner, we'll put a shot of Pine in, and then you know 
Buckner is going to tire tire out the defensive line. The pass rush is going to get tired late in the game when we need a, a pocket presence. You know, with our O line that has how many replacements? You know, throughout the whole season, how many starting lineups have we seen? Then we'll put back in Cone. He'll finish the game. We'll get clutch with you know with very little pressure on him, and he'll deliver us. If that's the game plan, then that's different than second guessing or third guessing. Yeah, well, I think I think it's always the game plan until you go in and you have a big mistake. And that, that sort of has been the pattern. And, and you can say that it's as a result of not having good pass protection, which is real, and, and getting hit in the ear hole, which is real. And, I mean, even the Virginia Tech game, it was sort of sack, sack, sack. And, you know, a lot of people are going, he's got to be able to move and avoid the pressure, talking about Cone, and create a little magic on his own. So then you go, okay, well, this is the type of game that makes sense for Buckner. The next thing you know, Buckner comes in and goes right down the field. It's like, oh, this is perfect for Buckner, but he's got a pass, and now he's throwing easy interceptions. Now you go back to Cone. You know what I'm saying? It's like their skill sets are all so different that I don't, I don't know how you get out of this cycle. I just don't know how you do. It will be interesting to see how that plays out, especially against some porous defenses coming up. Notre Dame has faced four top 20 defenses in yards per play allowed. They're about to face five that are lower than 80 in the country. So things are going to improve for this offense, no matter who's at quarterback. Who would you two anticipate in the next six weeks breaking out? It could even be somebody who was once upon a time productive but hasn't been this year. But next six weeks, who would you see coming through? Hmm. On the offense? Presumably, because that's where we're at right now, and that is the, the struggling part of this team for the most part. Yeah, I, I think – it's, it's such an interesting question. I would have to go with one of the receivers. For me, I think, you know, the guy that I really want to see step into a bigger role. It's not like a breakout is saying zero yards to a thousand yards. You know, it's not going to be like that. But I think just Kevin Austin being able to capitalize on some of those one-on-one matchups in the boundary, um, we've seen flashes. And I just need to see that more consistently. And I think down the stretch, um, we're going to see more of that or I would hope to see more of that. And that's what this offense needs. Uh, but he would be my one offensive breakout star if I had to pick one. Yeah, he's a good one. I'd, I'd go Braden Lindsay. I just think Lindsay, every time we meet with the coaching staff, I get the sense that they want to take some more shots. Like that shots is in their mind. They're trying to think of the moment to, to go deep. And I know Lindsay had a drop where he basically ran right into the sun. Corey could probably speak to that better, but he's looking right over the stadium and the football is coming in and, we had him on the podcast, and he wasn't going to give it up. He wasn't going to go. I dropped it because of the sun, but you could tell that it was in his eye. Then he came back and caught a touchdown. It was that last week, a couple of weeks ago? Um, so he, he rebounded. I just think that they're looking for shots, and at some point he becomes the guy, just the speed that he has. So I do think the deep stuff will come, and my guess is it will come the second half of the year to Lindsay. I I get both of those. I'm going to cheat and suggest – a breakout in that he hasn't shined yet this year. Kyron Williams is going to have a month, be it the next four weeks, the last four weeks of the season. Kyron Williams will not have his presumably final year at Notre Dame be some six or 700-yard season. He is going to dominate a few games. Just the way the offensive line is coming together, the way the upcoming defenses are that much worse than Wisconsin and Cincinnati and Purdue and Toledo. Kyron Williams will have a moment before this year is over, and, and presumably, I'm going to argue, multiple moments to put together a month. Mm. It's interesting. It's interesting. I, 
I haven't seen I haven't seen this year look anything like last year, and it's probably mostly just because of the offensive line just doesn't create a natural push. There's not there's not a two and three yard push right off the line, and so you've had to see Kyron take over in certain runs, and I think we've seen that in games where it's like he just decides he's not going down that way. He'll break two or three tackles, and so if he is going to have those breakout moments, I think it's going to have to be on his own shoulders just breaking a few tackles and making it happen because it hasn't been the same offensive line. It'll be curious to see that offensive line coming forward. Corey, you mentioned how many offensive lines have we seen. For all but two games in Brian Kelly's first 11 years, Notre Dame started four left tackles. This year alone, Notre Dame has started four left tackles. It's absurd. But now it sounds like Joe Walt's going to be at left tackle and Andrew Kristofek's going to be at left guard. And maybe that's enough to, to give Kyron and the offense some more consistency moving forward. And Carmody, a tight end. I I couldn't wrap my mind around that when I first saw it. It's it's nominal. It's got like let's. It, I don't expect him to be catching any passes, but boy, wouldn't that be a package if suddenly Carmody's in the flat? I mean, we know about his basketball prowess, right, Jack? I mean, it's not it's not entirely unlikely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the player that everybody's so excited about is Joe Alt. He he's the one that I just that's a name that. I've never heard anybody, when you bring it up, not go, oh, he's going to be a great one here at Notre Dame. He's young, and so he's a true freshman, right? And so they were looking for that package to bring him in. Corey, what number was he wearing? 45? When they would bring him in there at that extra tight end spot. And I think he did well coming in, had a few great blocks. And his, his role, I think, is just going to continue to grow. Young guy, but everybody says he looks like an NFLer. It's interesting because with this with this O-line, it's it's funny because we, we hear about, you know, the running backs being a – uh, uh, another offensive lineman, right? With Kyron yeah. Williams uh, being able to pick up protections, and that's kind of something the whole running back room actually prides itself on. I don't, I don't think I've been around the Notre Dame team where you have offensive linemen, multiple offensive linemen being fullback or tight end. You know, Joe Ald, Carmody. It's like, oh, we'll just move them around. We know that we can move them around on the line, but that's so. It's pretty interesting that we're like, okay, well, these guys can basically, you know, <laughs> move around outside of just the the traditional definition of offensive line which at being that size like six seven over 300 pounds talk about athletes so i am actually very excited to see comedy in the tight end position notre dame has taken that old stanford jumbo model and and maybe put it like taken that stanford model and put it on steroids oh you think you're gonna have five offensive linemen and three tight ends we're just gonna have eight offensive linemen what are you gonna do about that it's but jack you mentioned joe all it's such an interesting Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939 arc in the preseason in 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 september nobody at notre dame was thinking joe walt 2021 they weren't even thinking joe walt 2022 this is a guy who was playing tight end in high school when notre dame started recruiting him he weighed 245 pounds they were thinking joe walt's gonna be really good in 2023 he's gonna really be a piece but now he's your starting left tackle and maybe maybe he's usurped blake fisher already for that long-term role i don't know it depends on when we get blake fisher back but it did make me wonder, and I wanted to ask both of you, who have you seen this year? And we've already covered Joe Walt, but if you want to double down on him, who have you seen this year that you thought, boy, 
that's going to be a piece in 2022. Offensive, defensive, wherever it may be. Somebody you weren't expecting that you already see as a future building block. Mm. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, to, to finish up on that Joe Alt point, I think if Fisher comes back, that's, that is only gravy on top. I mean, because then you got you can maybe put one at right tackle, you put the other at left tackle. I, and I, I think that's, that's really what Coach Kelly likes to do right now is – he likes to be able to bring them in as that extra tight end, get them reps. I mean, how many times have you heard him say, figure out if a guy's ready for the bright lights of Notre Dame Stadium, the bright lights of Broadway that comes with it. And you can get those reps without the pressure. And that's what they did with Joe Alt, was sort of eased him into knowing what it's like to be a part of the offense without the pressure. Now he's ready for the pressure. Who do, who do I think could be a big player come the defense is going to lose a lot. I mean, they're going to lose a whole lot of players potentially. Over there the is an obvious answer on defense. I'm wondering if you're going to get there. If I need to walk J.D. Bertrand, 58 JD. tackles already, and he wasn't supposed to be a starter this year. He was supposed to be 25 snaps a game. He's, he's an easy one. Corey, where are you leaning with this one? Yeah, I was going to the D-line. I was thinking about Lacey and Cross. I, uh, I just, I was, I've been really impressed with both of their, both of their impact. Uh, and just like their play, as far as just a skill set, we know about the defensive line at Notre Dame. I mean, a lot of great, a lot of great D linemen come through in D. Uh, but I just love their get off. They're so fast. They're explosive and they're disruptive, right? And like you mentioned, a lot of people are going to be leaving this defense. And uh, to me, the defensive line just seems like it just reloads. When we discussed Notre Dame's resurgence since 2017, I think of the defensive line depth. Corey, you played with some great defensive linemen at Notre Dame. But even then, that, that 2015 team, the 2014 team that might have had a, a certain run for a while, they never had the defensive line depth that you're referring to now that it just reloads. You look at Lacey and Cross as next year's possible starters, and Notre Dame won't worry at all. Yeah, and J.D. Bertrand, I, for me, it's like – this is one of those things where he's already there. Like he, like, you know, like he was leading the, the, every game. I'm just like, where is JD? He's flying around every, every tackle. I just see his number. I'm like, man, this guy's everywhere. And like you mentioned, he was a special teams guy. Is he going to fill a role? Maybe he's just going to have a little bit of an impact. Then he becomes the guy. He leads the team in tackles. And you're just like, man, this guy's already there. He's already a core contributor. I think as far as going into that space next year, like I said, I think D line will probably be one of the areas just because um, it, to me, it's like, it's the most interesting, it's like an octopus. You know, there's just like so many tentacles and all of them are dangerous. <laughs> so it, it's really fun to watch that D-line. I just love, I also just love linemen. So I, I think I'm kind of biased there. Yeah, yeah. I, Cam Hart's another one that that I, I'm starting to believe in. I think that the switching him from the boundary to the field side did so much to create comfort for him. And I think you have to give a whole bunch of props with that move to coach Freeman because Freeman realized really for a lot of things he had learned from Cincinnati, that he might be better served to be put over on the wide side of the field. He's a former wide receiver, right? So it just looks like with the ball in the air, having extra time over on the wide side to see it and react to it, he's creating interceptions. He just looks comfortable. I think some of those guys, like even digs with the Cowboys, Guys that have played receiver in their background and have those ball skills, every time the football's in the air, Kyle Hamilton, like, they believe it's their football, and they're just going to go attack it like they're playing offense again. And so I see some of those things with Cam Hart. He's a long guy over there. I think they're teaching him the position. My guess is he has a very big second year uh, coming back next season. It would be his, what, senior year. I get all their 
their you know class is confused at this point, but I believe will be his senior year. It's another curious. Go ahead, Corey. I'll say another easy one is Buckner. I, I think that's very straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's surprised in 2021, but you're certain I. I well, in the spring, remember in the spring game, we were sitting here. It's like, okay, is it going to be Pine? Is going to be Buckner? And then he comes in and and does amazing things. And then like you know. So, yeah, early on, you know, he was a bit of a surprise. Now it's not so much. It will be a surprise to me if he's not the starter, though. Certainly Brian Kelly will trumpet a quarterback competition in the spring. I do find it curious in a season where the defense was lampooned for the first couple of weeks. Here we are talking about all the defensive contributors that look so good, especially moving forward. There's been a real quick growth spurt under Freeman in the last two months. There has been. There has been. And. This year, I just this has been one of the more impressive Coach Kelly, Coach Reese, Coach Freeman coaching jobs. Just because I don't think from a player standpoint, from a talent, guys that are ready to play sort of top shelf college football, this probably wasn't the year where they felt like they had a surplus. This just was not that season. And then you had injuries at the beginning of the year, which piled onto that. But their ability to piece this thing back together and sort of duct tape what became the holes with the offensive line and bringing extra men in and, and figuring out a way to win these games that, you know, probably should have been losses <laughs> when you, if you really sort of got them in private, just figuring out a way to go gut them out. Um, I think it's been one of the more impressive coaching jobs that I can remember. I think it's really fitting too that coach Kelly passes Newt Rockney for the all time winning as coach in a year where you just had to grit and gut it out. With a backup quarterback. Brian Kelly needs to break that record using a backup quarterback. Right. Yeah, with Pine coming in, third string, left tackle, third string quarterback. It just felt like the right year, the right time. Before we get out of here, I, one of us should ask, what, what are you two predicting for the final six weeks? Is Notre Dame going to finish the year 11-1? and one? Look, I'm trying to get through one week at a time. You can get off the talking points. <laughs> it, it's just it's just so funny because, I, I, like I said, this team, is, it's the closest thing to a reality TV show that I've seen. I mean, every week it comes down to, like, the very end. There's so much drama. There's so many injuries. There are just so many, like, heroes that then the next week, you know, like, we're, it's just, like, I don't understand – uh, this is one of the most fascinating, entertaining teams to watch. Um, just the internal dynamics. It's like its own narrative. It's its own theater. It's beautiful as a fan and heart-wrenching. It's tragic and exhilarating. But I, I think as far as week to week, like I'm, I'm just trying to stay alive, quite honestly. I will say, though, I, I think the, the key thing, in my opinion, is going to be um, – like just with Michael Mayer, if he when when he's in the game, like it's just we we all talk about how incredible he is. If he can just stay healthy, oh my goodness! Like the offense looks so different without him. So if you have a a healthy Michael Mayer, I think we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more wins, right? But man, I I, I get so nervous when he's on the sideline. I just get so nervous, Doug. Yeah. I, I I think he'll be able to come back and play in some fashion, right? I mean, I, the bye week seemed to have come at the perfect time i would think now groins could be tricky too especially cutting in the open field like he does what do you think there doug well brian kelly is the most optimistic person in the world when it comes to player health but he did say mayor looked 100 percent this week and to me that said he's playing like we 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 saw virginia tech as a game we could win without him barely and make his bye week really a two or three week stretch which is the right way to handle that injury if 
if Mayer doesn't practice this week until Thursday, then he basically gets three weeks off, which should hopefully, for his sake, get that groin healthy. I don't ever trust Brian Kelly's optimism when it comes to players because I think a player could have his foot amputated and Kelly would say, he'll be back in three weeks. But <laughs> maybe Mayer is there and USC's defense is certainly susceptible to some big gains for a tight end like that. I, I think I think that they can win out. To, to answer your original question, like this, given what they've gotten through, the, the Cincinnati game was the hardest on the schedule, just given the way that everything was shaping up. To go to Virginia Tech to win, that would have been another one that I would have been considerably nervous about. They're going to beat USC. I think they can beat UNC. I think they can beat Stanford. I, to me, that they absolutely can can win out from here. And I, if I was in that coaching office, if I was a player on that team, the expectation would be winning out. So is it possible they'd catch another loss somewhere along the way, given just so much variety at the quarterback position? You know, just there's every week it seems like there's something that they're going through. Yeah, it's possible they could drop another game. But to me, the expectation would be to win out. I think that there's every reason to believe they will. 11 and 1 or 10 and 2 for a year when you are rebuilding slash reloading. There's worse things in life. Oh my gosh. It'd be huge, right? I mean, if they could if they could get out of this thing with one if they get out of this thing with one loss with all the other teams that have lost at this point, are they are they in that conversation again? Jack, no. No. Stop. Are they in it? No. What what would have to happen for them to be back in it, Doug? Georgia has to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Right. Right. Um, the Big Ten has to cannibalize itself because right now you have four teams or is it five teams? Five teams that are above Notre Dame in that conversation between Iowa, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan. So that has to completely self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Have Oklahoma win out. So at that point, you're at Georgia, Oklahoma, Cincinnati. And then it's a chaos question. Notre Dame or Oregon or two loss Alabama. I think your biggest item, biggest two items are Georgia beating Alabama for the SEC title, and the Big Ten has to completely cannibalize itself. There are five teams there right now with genuine, applicable playoff aspirations. Yeah. So the, the key is just the big win for this season would be just re-entering the conversation. Just just being, just putting yourself as a potential maybe to get X from the playoff, but just being in the conversation would be the win. First playoff rankings come out in two weeks. Uh, I think that's November 2nd, maybe. Notre Dame will be somewhere between 9th and 13th. And, yeah, you just assume natural attrition, and Notre Dame's going to move up to 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and then you're in that conversation, like you said. Yeah. What a weird year it's been. Doug, like you've been doing this forever. Have you, can you remember a year that's been this all over the place? Uh, the one that does come to mind, and I don't mean to bring up bad memories for somebody here, is the 2014, like, Shot out of a cannon, great team, great looking, and then injuries just cripple the defense. Notre Dame has managed to survive those injuries across the board this year, and they're more on the offense. But that's the one that comes to mind. And going into these next six weeks, Notre Dame might be an injury injury or two away from such a problem again. There's more depth now. We were discussing the defensive line depth that Corey never got to experience as a player as much as there were singular talents. Notre Dame is in a better position to handle that kind of injury rash, but – that 2014 team was so good, and then it just never had a chance to finish the season strong. And that's where this – I do have those memories of this one. Yeah. No, I think I think that's that's fair. It's, it's sort of been the opposite of that one in terms of they, they shoot out of a cannon. I guess they shot out of a cannon in both of them. And, but this one was one where it was like even when they were shooting out of the cannon, 
you never quite felt like they were shooting very far. You know there was never I mean? enough gunpowder in the cannon. <laughs> there wasn't very much gunpowder. You were worried if the cannon could shoot again next weekend. Yeah, so all good, all good. The fact that it's a one-loss team, I think every Notre Dame fan can celebrate that at this point. Even though it doesn't it always feel like the sky's falling. Even one loss, no matter what the circumstance, sky's coming down on heads. Well, Jack, you're giving me a giving me a chance to ask Corey something I would love to ask. I have all sorts of fans and readers. Oh, Notre Dame's out of the playoff. Plan for 2022. Bench Buckner, uh, bench Cone, bench Pine, play Buckner, play all the freshmen. How would that resonate in a locker room, Corey, if Notre Dame clearly was like, well, we can lose two more this year. We're already out of it. What would that say in the locker room? That's just – well, I don't think that it would ever, ever happen at Notre Dame. You know, I think Notre Dame's one of those teams – first of all, if you're playing for Notre Dame, you have a – you have a certain pride associated with that, especially now with this team, they understand what it means to, to wear the monogram. So I don't think you're ever going to get in a scenario where you're just going to throw the season or tank or whatever words you want to use. There, there's a pride associated with that. But the, the important thing here is this, this ND team, you guys mentioned it. They're probably the most resilient team, you know, that, that I've seen yeah. around. Just think about that. Like I said, the reality TV show kind of <laughs> drama that's been around this season. Uh, they're resilient. All the, the 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 injuries that they've had, and they have the depth to back it up, as you mentioned, Doug. So when I see that, I think that in itself is pretty interesting. I think survival at this point is is a pretty interesting indicator of just how good this team is, or how great Notre Dame's come along to be able to endure that many injuries and still be a one loss team. If they can continue that, to me, that's more instead of this one season. That this is going to be a marker of saying, okay, well. Let's talk about the, the Notre Dame program, because think about the other top programs that have had similar kind of drop offs or injuries. You know, we had a lot of I mean, we, we saw as fans, a lot of players go to the league that were really good last year. Right. Uh, not every team can just reload. And there's a couple teams, you know, in the ACC who aren't just they just couldn't reload. Right. So that's kind of my point is for me, this this year is less about this team particularly, which obviously fans probably don't want to hear that. But I think as as far as just like the overall health of the program, uh, this is very encouraging for Notre Dame. But this season, I'm just like one week at a time. Let's beat USC. Yeah, I, but I, I think your your sentiment there with the one week at a time, Corey, I, I just get the sense that that is shared by Coach Kelly. Don't you get that sense? That in his brain, it's like every week he sort of comes back to the table and goes, okay, what, what do we need to protect? Is it the left tackle? Okay, let's come up with a plan to, to send it that send help that way. I just feel like he is sort of preoccupied by so many things that he's trying to fix on the fly that he's never really living in the future like he would in a normal week. There's never really a comfort that the, the basics are covered. I think he's always feeling like he needs to give help where help is – you know, most urgent, and then to be able to move on to the next task, if that makes sense. And that's why it's been such an, an impressive coaching job from my perspective. And I think if you ever got them in private, it's probably, you know, assuming that they could finish out the year the way they've been able to piece it together, I think it'd be one of his proudest, to be honest with you. And that goes back to where we started, Jack. The quarterback has to change sometimes every week because they're not able to think ahead to November. They have to figure out what is it going to take to beat SC Maybe it's a different quarterback setup. What's going to take to beat North Carolina? And maybe that it, it all does go back to that. That's just the the variable this year that they have to figure out every week, just like they have to figure out the whole game plan every week, more so than most seasons. 
It is. And if you want to look ahead to 2022, I think the defense is going to lose a ton of players, right? Like, like we were mentioning. So it's probably going to be very heavily reliant on transfers to come in and fill some of those positions. I don't think you can completely rely on all these un, you know, underclassmen coming up, filling roles and becoming a winning defense. I think you're going to see a lot of transfers coming. I think the offensive line will be considerably better, considerably improved next year, and then Buckner steps in as the quarterback. I don't think it's a full-gone, foregone conclusion that 2022 is all roses. There's going to be a lot they need to work on for that as well. We can debate the 2022 roster and all, let's say, six or seven weeks. There's going to be plenty of debate there. But, yeah, I hear you. There's plenty left on the 2021 vote at this point. Cool. Are we going to wrap this thing up? I don't, I don't know what, where we are on time or what, what the heck is it. I think we're going to be told we ran a little long, so get us out of here, Jack. All right, let's do it. Fellas, it's been a pleasure. We'll go ahead and clip that part out right there. USC, Notre Dame, Corey, send us out with one little nugget on the USC-Notre Dame rivalry. There's so many rivalries on this Notre Dame schedule, but this one always feels a little bit more special. It, it's USC. It's Southern Cal. It's Notre Dame. This is one of the most historic rivalries two historic programs you know in in my mind rivalries have to be one long-standing can't just happen you know the past couple years has to go back this one goes way back you have to both be good (laughs) you can't just have a one-sided affair and usc is good (laughs) and notre dame is really good too so i think historically when you look at the parity between these two teams that's what adds to this rivalry and then and then lastly you know i think great rivals have to mean something to people they have to have significance and i don't know if you've ever talk you know if you just like talk story with any college football fan they generally have pretty strong feelings i should say against you know either for or against notre dame or usc and they don't even have any allegiances to those teams they just either don't like them or they love them and then when you talk about a notre dame fan if you ask a notre dame fan about southern cal if you ask a southern cal fan about notre dame i mean those are amplified feelings. So for me, it checks every box of a great rivalry. And then you add in prime time under the lights. It just doesn't get any better as a fan experience. Yeah, I think there's going to be some eyeballs on this game. I really do, man. I think 730, prime time, Notre Dame, USC is the best USC team ever. No, but I just think there's something about these two brands on one field that people can't help but watch. Doug, Corey, thank you guys so much for doing it. ND on NBC Podcast, Saturday night, 730 p.m. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.